One of my dear friends is a nun, a woman with the heart of a pastor, the sass of a New Yorker, and the icing on the cake. She's a complete genius, holding so many advanced degrees and being an expert in church history and liturgy. Ask her any question, why we do what we do, or how the church came to believe this or that, and she'll launch into an in-depth 20-minute rant, telling you all the ins and outs, complete with the historical twists and turns of it all. And I love her for that. Some time ago, we were talking about marriage, not between us for a cornucopia of reasons, and she had mentioned a peculiar custom that they have in her branch of Christianity. During a wedding, after the couple has exchanged their vows and placed rings on each other's hands, the priest comes over and places a crown on each of their heads. Now you can imagine that this makes for some pretty epic photos. Brides in their long and flowing dresses, grooms in their dapper tuxedos, each now donning regal crowns, and of course, ear-to-ear -ear smiles to go along with them. As an outsider, it looks like the two have just been coronated king and queen of their new household, reigning over this special day, which they will forever treasure in their hearts. But the good sister went on to explain that's not really what's going on. The crown the priests place on each of their heads, it's the very crown we hear about in the epistle of James and in the revelation of John. It's the crown of martyrdom. It's a symbol which depicts that on their wedding day, each of the people getting married is about to experience a certain sort of death death to an old way of living for themselves, death to what I want for dinner, where I want my career to go, where I want to live, what I want to do, death to the notion of my life, so that this new relationship of love and service to which they have just committed themselves might give life to our time together. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Those crowns symbolize that in order to love, we have to experience death to make room for that life-giving service to each other, which gives birth to and cultivates that very love we seek. Our gospel this morning started out with Jesus prophesying, the son of man will be delivered into human hands and they will kill him. This wasn't the first time the 12 heard this, yet they seemed to not know and really not even to care what Christ was talking about. But what they did know and did care about was this, 
the Messiah will soon be ushering in a new kingdom. And when that day comes, they wanted to be greatest in the kingdom. I not only want, but I deserve a powerful position of authority once Jesus shows everyone who's who. And here's why. Each of the 12 said, taking turns telling the others why they were the greatest. All this happening so quickly after their rabbi foretold his death. Christ, knowing exactly what they were talking about on the road, decided it was time to show them who's who. So Christ sat down the ancient posture of a teacher when giving a lesson and said to them, if anyone desires to be the first, they shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he called over a child, the lowest in their society, second only to slaves, and had that child stand among them. As the twelve looked on, they saw the Almighty and the lowly side by side. They saw right before their very eyes the divine paradox of the Almighty Servant, the omniscient servant who knows what we will ask even before we ask it, the omnipotent servant who can do far more than we could ever ask or imagine, the omnipresent servant who always seems to be right there when we need him, the almighty servant who does it all out of love. They now knew who was the greatest among them, and it was none of them. Standing there, the twelve began to wonder what kind of God would leave his father's throne to be last of all and servant of all. But as Christ took the child into his arms, the answer became clear as to what kind of God would empty himself, taking the form of a servant. A God who loves us. An almighty servant who would do anything for the lowly, the troubled, the tired, the sorrowful, all so that they might feel the loving embrace of God. You want to be the best, Christ asks his disciples. Be the best at this. Be the best at making the lowly feel like the apple of God's eye. Be the best at wiping away the tears from the cheeks of the sorrowful. Be the best at bringing peace to the troubled. Then you will be first in my kingdom. That day, a little part of the twelve died. The part of them that wanted to be the greatest for the sake of themselves. But that day, a new part 
of the Twelve was born, as the seed of service began to germinate in their hearts, uprooting a life for themselves and their prominence, and blossoming into a life of loving the other, of serving the other, being icons of that almighty servant, being witnesses, being martyrs to that even greater Christian paradox, that through loving and serving, we encounter death. But of course, we find new life. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life.